You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Bucks, locked on Eastern Conference finalist Milwaukee Bucks to be specific, and the Bucks have done it, folks. Uh, they haven't done it. It there's still more to come, but the Milwaukee Bucks have vanquished their old foes, the Boston Celtics, four games to one in the East semifinals tonight. They do it in convincing fashion, as I think a lot of people were uh, expecting. I was nervous uh heading into the game just because well a little bit uncharted territory for me as a fan uh it has been since yes 2001 since the bucks last were playing for a chance to go to the east finals and they came to play they they took care of business it was not necessarily a pretty game tonight in milwaukee but the bucks rewarded a very raucous Pfizer forum crowd with the 116-91 win that uh, they deserved, and man, um, I, I I don't know how, how how you guys are feeling. I I have to say it, it's almost kind of relief, quiet satisfaction for me at this point. I I wasn't sure how excited I would be kind of coming out of this. I I've been so anxious about ending this series that um, it almost tempers kind of just like the pure elation and excitement. Um, Part of that probably also because I was forced to watch it in a hotel room and not, and not uh, like uh, hopefully some of you were able to be there in person. Hopefully others were able to watch the game uh, outside the forum uh, in the uh, probably the, the second best place to watch a basketball game uh, at this point in Milwaukee uh, in the outdoor uh, area around the stadium there. And uh, man, um it's been a long time coming, but uh, this was the kind of performance overall in the series, I would say, that, that again, you, you hoped for, that you, I don't, want, I don't know what you want to say, expected, um, because I think, you know, it was reasonable to be a little bit nervous coming into the series, given that, again, every series, after every series they win here, it's, it's sort of uncharted territory for this specific Bucks team, and for many of us as fans, too, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 38. And I can only remember one playoff run, really. One year where the Bucks actually made it out of the first round. That was 2001. And um, beating the Pistons in the first round obviously felt like, you know, kind of a formality. Like, all right, take care of business, get this over with, and move on. Don't get too excited. But look, I mean, hey, what more could you have expected out of that first round series to cruise who a 4 nothing sweep was probably about as you know, convincing as, as an effort as you could have hoped for. And tonight to close out the Celtics and only one more game. Um, I mean, it just speaks volumes about this Bucks team, about Giannis and his supporting cast. 
and Mike Budenholzer and the coaching staff, as well as the front office and the franchise. I mean, there there are <laughs> there are plaudits to go all around uh, on a night like this. And again, the Bucks have bigger ambitions than just to make it to the East Finals. This was, you know, you look at your record, you have the best record in the league. You at least want to get to the finals of your conference. Um, but to do it in the way that they have uh, is just so satisfying. And I'll, I'll jump into a lot of the kind of more macro kind of stuff in a little bit. But um, maybe just to kind of break the de- break the game down real quick, we'll kind of take the usual cruise through of three bucks worth highlighting, uh, three numbers. And then normally we do three good, three bad. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not even going to do three bad. Come on. What am I going to – Brooke Lopez missed a bunch of shots. Okay, whatever. There's your bad thing that we saw tonight. They didn't make many shots, period. Okay, great. We've, we've knocked out all the bad things we saw tonight. This was a night uh, to celebrate. This was a night to feel great about what this team is doing and the direction they're headed. Um, I guess the other thing, Giannis did tweak his uh, left ankle uh, at one point tonight, played through it in the second half. Um, but hopefully here they, they expect to have at least uh, – four, five days off, it looks like. So that's obviously a plus. But let's kind of break down the game real quick. Um, Obviously, we do not need to go possession by possession, blow by blow on this game, given the scoreline. But as far as three bucks, I mean, Giannis, a a more quiet night in terms of scoring tonight, 20 points on eight out of 14 shooting, uh, did have eight rebounds, eight assists, two steals, two blocks in 31 minutes. Um, I thought this was certainly his most patient performance um, on a night when the Celtics really rediscovered their sort of wallet off strategy that we saw in game one. And, you know, no better evidence of that than the fact that they started both Al Horford and Aaron Baines. That was the duo that they used throughout the first round series against the Pacers, which they swept. I think understandably, uh, Brad Stevens was loath to go to that dual big lineup. Uh, at the start of this series, again, it kind of lets you put Giannis on Horford and kind of hide Lopez a bit on Aaron Baines. Uh, and perhaps not surprisingly, and also maybe, you know, given the circumstances of the Celtics having their backs against the wall on the road, uh, this was the best start the Bucks have had. This was the first quarter that the Bucks have led, actually, after the first quarter. Um, Bucks got off to kind of a quick start. Um, but Giannis, I mean, he did not have an easy night of this. He... Only had three points in the first quarter. Started out one out of five. Got a three-point play late in the first half to get him up to six points at halftime. But it was really about his distribution and the patience and really doing a lot of the things that you would have wanted him to see in game one when he was seeing that sea of of green-shirted Celtics walling him off when he got to the paint. Um, again, obviously, he didn't... You wouldn't say he played well early on with some of the shooting numbers, but... His distribution was good, and his teammates were actually paying off some of his shots, which was especially interesting because Bucks were not shooting well. I mean, this was not a work of art, despite the big uh, point total that they put up, 116, um, 109.1 offensive rating. This was a fast-paced game. But for Giannis, you know, eight assists, I think, speaks to what his mindset was tonight. And again, he kind of let the game come to him as, as sort of, the kind of game went on. They loosened up the Celtics defense a bit. Celtics were very aggressive uh, on the perimeter. I mean, Marcus Morris and, and Marcus Smart in particular um, were kind of the only guys who like really looked super engaged. Um, Morris was the victim of Bain starting, but they ended up having to go to him pretty quickly uh, because, to be honest, you know the, that that starting group just just wasn't working out. I mean, Baines was minus 22 in 10 minutes, which sort of speaks to what they were kind of getting out of that that dual big lineup approach. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, the Bucks got off to a fast start, and even with Giannis not scoring early, um, ultimately he ends up being the story. Ended up getting out in transition, ended up getting loose around the basket a number of times in the second half, makes seven out of nine shots to close the game. Came out, I think, around the eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter. Uh, again, finishing eight out of 14, so getting closer to that type of efficient scoring that, that you'd like to see from him. Only five free throws hit four of them, um, but had a couple steals, a couple blocks, just generally kind of all over the place, and uh, perhaps not surprisingly, a game-high plus 33, plus-minus in those 31 minutes. And again, it would have been fun to obviously see him just sort of go nuclear in a closeout game and um, just kind of stick it to the Celtics. But, you know, Boston said, all right, we're, we're not going to give you easy stuff. We're going to make you kind of beat us with your shooting and um, not a great shooting night from the Bucks. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, um, but good enough. And I think again, Giannis, this is what Giannis is going to have to do. I mean, we'll see how other teams play him from here on out. I mean, I think, you know, Toronto, could do some similar things. I think Toronto will probably be more likely to do similar stuff than Philly, who have, who are probably more content to just let Joel Embiid try to kind of stop Giannis one on one, even if uh, he got lit up for 97 points in the last two two games when they tried to do that. But um, I think this has been a great series for getting Giannis used to some of the different looks that he's likely going to get um, and different types of defenses that he's going to face. So um, you know, again, great to see him finishing out a series the way you would like uh, you would like it to happen he scores 14 in the second half despite uh, i think he played only 13 minutes so um again kudos to Giannis. he is the engine of all this and even when he is not necessarily scoring easily or getting uh, the kind of looks that you'd normally like for him to get um he got it done tonight hit a couple of mid-range jumpers as well did not make a three um for a change which is something we've seen most of the series from him in terms of making threes uh but ultimately didn't matter and and obviously you know uh, we will not, I don't think, spend too much time worrying about Giannis's lack of three-pointers in this game. Um, kind of looking at, at other bucks, I mean, I think you know, the point guard position has been such a huge story throughout this series. And, you know, game one, it was Bledsoe kind of looking cursed again. Game three, kind of some of the, some of the same. But I think overall, you know, I, let me highlight both Eric Bledsoe and George Hill because, you know, it was kind of, kind of had to chuckle a little bit because as much as we have been concerned about Eric Bledsoe's mindset and, you know, or maybe not mindset, I think his mindset was probably better throughout the series, but some of his decision-making is kind of over-aggression at times. Um, obviously the results uh, in game one and in game three in particular just were not there. He just did not look right, did not look mentally uh, to be where he needed to be. Uh, to to be the kind of player that we expect him to be the kind of be the kind of player we saw in the regular season uh, at various points in the series, but Eric Bledsoe outplayed Kyrie Irving in this series, and you know part of that is Eric Bledsoe's defense. Um, I think part of that also is just Kyrie Irving. Just I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about Kyrie Irving. He's been probably the most annoying human being associated with the NBA, given just his interviews and just weirdness uh, overall and so for him especially given that he is you know he considers himself a self-styled uh you know playoff rock star uh he referred to himself as a genius the other day uh to see him just really choke away this playoff series and uh underachieve in a way that certainly i don't think we've ever seen Kyrie underachieve throughout a whole series before uh that was really fun that was really enjoyable um i i really love uh you know, playoff Kyrie when it's this kind of playoff Kyrie. But 
a lot of credit to to Bledsoe for tonight playing much better. Uh, he looked very comfortable. 18 points on 14 shots, six rebounds, two assists. Uses physicality. He was a plus 27. Hit a couple of threes, uh, including an early one, which kind of got them off the got him off the Schneid a little bit. And Kyrie on the other side, six out of 21. It, incredibly, right? He goes. I think it was what eight out of 22. Um, and then says, well, you know, I'm not going to do that again. Then goes seven out of 22 and now six out of 21. Um, I mean, just remarkable that he somehow got worse and worse as this series went on. What happens to him next? I have no idea. He was a minus 25 tonight and it felt like it. Um, he's not, a, he's not an alpha dog. I mean, he's not a number one option on a good team. And, um, I mean, we just, I think we saw it tonight and, um, credit to Bledsoe and also, Credit to George Hill. I mean, per minute, was there a better point guard in this series than George Hill? No, there was not. George Hill tonight, 16 points on 10 shots. Um, was actually an even plus minus. So the, ben- the bench did not have that huge plus minus bump that we have seen from them, uh, that we saw from them in Boston. Uh, but Hill was, again, really good. There, and there were a number of plays, especially in like, that second quarter, where the Celtics were being really aggressive at the point of attack. Uh, Marcus Smart in particular, I mean, credit to him. He's has been bad offensively in these two games uh, since he's come back 0 for 4 tonight, um, one out of seven the other night. But, uh, you know, they've been aggressive at, at the point of attack, trying to uh, prevent the Bucks from kind of getting into easy offense. And, uh, you know, Hill was able to break them down a few times, get some easy shots, get some layups, um, hit a three, you know, sort of gave the Bucks breathing room. Cause, cause that, that was the interesting thing about this game. I mean, the Bucks go out to a double digit lead, uh, Early in the first quarter, then kind of let the Celtics get back into it um, before really kind of getting a little bit of a boost in the early second quarter as they kind of got the separation that really they held throughout most of the, the rest of the game. Um, and, you know, it was, it was guys like George who kind of made sure that, you know, especially if you didn't have Giannis either in the game or being able to get his open shots that you expect. Um, you know, Hill has been just so crucial throughout this series. And he was again tonight as well, just making sure that the Bucks uh, didn't suffer any drop-off with the second unit. And so credit to both Eric Bledsoe and George Hill tonight, and especially Hill over the course of the series. He has been tremendous, especially with Malcolm Brogdon having been out. Uh, we'll talk more about Malcolm in a moment. He did make his return today, which was awesome to see, especially getting some run uh, ahead of uh, the the Bucks Eastern Conference Finals appearance. Um but the other guy, I think if I was going to pick a third buck, I'll also go Chris Middleton. Uh, you know, he missed, I think it's like four of his last five shots or so, uh, finished up only five out of 15 from the field. But kind of a pretty typical Chris Middleton, you know, really good, even though he wasn't flashy type of night. 19 points, eight rebounds, five assists, uh, seven out of seven from the foul line. He did a really nice job. As, you know, I mentioned Hill, what he was able to do in the, Celtics were kind of being aggressive and trying to get some positive momentum defensively. Chris conned a couple of free throw uh, trips uh, from first was Marcus Smart, who was really trying to go at him, got Smart to bite on a pump fake late in the shot clock, drew a foul on him there, uh, put himself in a really kind of awkward spot when he was driving up in transition at one point, conned a, three, conned a foul out of Jason Tatum to, to draw some free throws. And, you know, just stuff like that. I mean, I think if you t- think about the Bucks. Just general demeanor and, and just calmness throughout this series. I mean, they they it, it's remarkable how after game one, the Buc- they just never let the Celtics really go on big runs. And 
you know, credit to Mike Budenholzer for the way he prepared this team. Credit to Budenholzer for taking timeouts really quickly and preventing kind of those big runs from starting. And then obviously, big credit to Chris and, and all these other guys who, uh, you know, absorbed the pressure and whether it was on the road or at home, um, played their game. And, you know, Middleton is obviously kind of a, a very, you know, his, his style is, is always kind of calm under pressure, never seems to kind of get sped up. And, you know, that's something that obviously is going to be uh, more and more important as, as the playoffs go on, especially if he has to face Kawhi Leonard in, in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's going to be as difficult an assignment as, as he's going to face. Uh, three numbers. Boston shoots 31% from the field. Uh, I think it was 18% from three. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, they, they just could not hit anything tonight. Um, equal parts, probably Bucks defense and Celtics just kind of running out of gas and just seeing the... Uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel being the Bucks freight train and just sort of resigning themselves to uh, this series, not going their way. Um, but, you know, I, that was one of those underrated things, I think, coming into this series. You know, Boston has a very good defense. I mean, they've been a defensive team the last couple of years. That's been why they've been good. Offensively, they've been much more hit or miss, right? I mean, and that's the irony in, about the whole narrative oh the celtics are so talented well then why aren't they good offensively <laughs> you know uh you know I, I think that there's always been this idea of of well Kyrie isn't you know obviously a, a superstar in the sense of a Giannis or you know kind of pick your top five mvp candidates because well he doesn't really contribute anything defensively and you know well, but but he's so good at, at iso scoring all this and that but what has been the weakness of this team i mean they 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 aren't good enough offensively they fall into the trap of playing iso ball and I, I don't know I it's just it's just so strange to me that this doesn't kind of get it didn't get brought up more often right like how can you be so freaking talented when you just don't score effectively in general as a team you're not an elite offense even though you have obviously you know a guy like Kyrie who's super talented as a shot maker I think has gotten better as a playmaker um and you've got you know Al Horford who's obviously a very modern uh, center in the sense that he can play defense, but also facilitate from the top of the key, hit open threes. You know, those are some pretty good building blocks. And I mean, Brad Stevens isn't a bad coach, right? <laughs> uh, you know, he's supposedly a really good coach and I believe that, but you know, they just, they just have been an underachieve. I don't, I, well, actually, no, I need to check myself. Everybody always calls them underachieving. And, and, okay. Maybe this year they, there was an underachieving aspect to what they did, but, I would venture that this Celtics team was much closer to their true selves this season overall. You know, maybe not in this playoff series, but but certainly this season. Then I think people kind of want to admit, and our friend Ben Thompson, you know, had a, I forget what Ben's exact tweet was, but, you know, he referenced that, you know, there's this cognitive bias as not just, not Celtics fans, but just as observers of the league. You know, everybody was so talked into the idea of the Celtics being a great team that we're always looking for, you know, during the season, everybody was always looking for a reason to think that they had turned a corner. Oh, they figured it out. You know, oh, no, now the Celtics are, are actually starting to play better. And likewise, when they then continue to disappoint, it's always, well, they're so, uh, so such underachievers. What's wrong with these guys? Maybe they're just not that great. <laughs> I mean, you know, like last year, they were a definitely a good regular season team, even with Kyrie missing some of the end of the, the, the season for sure. But Last year's East was, I would say, way worse than this year in terms of top-end 
uh, teams and, and depth. Um, and I don't know. I mean, when when you're clearly your your top end players don't match up with the best top end players of of the other kind of contending teams. I mean, Kyrie's nowhere close to Giannis. He's nowhere close to Kawhi. He's nowhere close to an Embiid. Um, you better have just loads and loads of guys behind him, and they don't they they haven't really had that either, right? I mean, Tatum obviously was overrated last year. Um, and they have a lot of other guys who can be good in under certain circumstances, but, um, you know, like the Bucks bench crushed the Celtics bench this series. And if you are that talented, then either you got to have the best player in the series, or you got to have better depth, better bench, better contributions from other guys. And we didn't see either of those things. So, um, anyway, I think I'm supposed to be talking about numbers. Uh, 17, the number of minutes we saw from Malcolm Brogdon tonight, who looked pretty good in returning the lineup. Um, you know, definitely looked like Bud was trying to bring him along slowly. I, I, th- I believe he didn't play until the second quarter. Uh, he obviously is, you know, was not going to be a guy that was going to be just like carrying bench units in his first game back. Um, first couple of possessions, he was actually guarding Kyrie, which I was confused by because he was on the court with. Uh, I believe it was Bledsoe. It was either Bledsoe or Hill. And uh, Rozier was out on the court too. And I was a little a little confused as to why you'd have to throw Brogdon into the fire against Kyrie, um, especially given how Malcolm is not great at getting over screens. Uh, but really, it wasn't really exploited defensively much. Um, kind of blended in, which is probably about as, as good as you can expect in a first game back after, what, two months out? Um, and... Uh, hit a spot up three, missed his first three, then hit a spot up three, uh, and then started to get his game going, the old Brogdon driving game. We saw a few examples of that, which was great to see. He had had one of those trademark, uh, kind of looking like he's going to go baseline and kind of just dribble out on the other side, uh, but then ends up sort of just throwing a, a lefty high banker uh, up and in. Um, that was great to see. Reminder of, of what he can do. Uh, and got to the rim a couple more times thereafter. And so um, obviously just huge to be able to let him get some of these, you know, I don't know, these sort of rehab minutes on the court, right? Um, they're, they're, you can't can't send somebody to AAA here uh, in the playoffs to get kind of get their swing back or, you know, whatever, whatever your baseball metaphor is. Uh, so to be able to kind of throw him into the fire uh, in a game five closeout game scenario, and have them actually contribute. He was a plus 14. I mean, they, it's not like they were struggling to integrate him. I mean, we saw Smart last game. As much as he kind of gives them an emotional lift and he plays so hard, uh, you know, he's one out of seven last game. Smart's out of, over four tonight. I mean, you know, just I thought tonight he was much better in terms of just the defensive effort. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's not easy to just, you know, come back, especially from a two-month absence and not miss a beat. And so it'll be really interesting to see what Bud does with Malcolm going into the East finals. I mean, do you throw him in as a starter sooner rather than later? I, I would say you do. If I mean, ultimately that's where I think the Bucks want him to be playing. And so um, again, he's obviously not going to have to carry the load playing with the other starters. Um, and it, it's weird. I mean, Miritich got off to a good start tonight, which is really the kind of the first time that, you know, that starting five with Miritich has actually like gotten the Bucks off to a good start. I mean, it's not like that group was the reason why the Bucks were winning games 
Um, I do like Mirich's floor spacing, obviously, but um, you know, was nice to see him actually playing a bit better uh, tonight. Uh, in terms of getting off uh, from the start, Mirich is 10 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, two steals, a block. Um, so didn't end up shooting it actually that well, but kind of has done a nice job, you know, playing defense and, and doing the little things, which really don't think of from Miritich, but he's probably a guy who's a little underrated in that sense, just because, you know, you look at these like, you know, European spot up shooter guys and you think, oh, that guy, you know, he's not going to play defense, but credit to him for, for what he's done all series. Um, and, you know, returning to Brogdon, obviously great to get him some run out. He had four assists, three rebounds as well, had a block, um, you know, again, we'll see kind of what he looks like next series. But obviously the fact that you get another, um, not a full week or anything like that, but um, it sounds like depending on, uh, basically it'll depend on what happens with Toronto and Philly. Either the East Finals will start on Monday in Milwaukee or on Wednesday in Milwaukee. Um, so I think, you know, selfishly, I'd say, uh, yeah, you root for, for a seven-game series. Uh, between Philly and Toronto, I would rather play Philly anyway. I don't think they're going to win these next two games, but um, but it would be, I think, advantageous for the Bucks for that series to go seven and get a couple more extra days of rest, um, and while while the other team's working hard, uh, and obviously getting Brogdon even more reps in practice and you know just some more time to to kind of get get right is obviously a plus. But there's no there's no there's no, there's no substitute for game action, so to get him in tonight obviously is a really nice bonus uh, heading into the East Finals. And last number, I mean, so something I've mentioned a number of times of late has been the idea of, of you know, if you're the Bucks and you can just match the Celtics shooting from deep, probably feel pretty good about your odds just because the Bucks tend not to foul too much and they tend to be much better in the paint than, than Boston. Tonight, not a dominating performance in the paint, 44 to 36, so plus eight there. Um, Boston, again, for the second straight game, ends up actually doing better from the foul line than the Bucks. I mean, they were still aggressive, 26 out of 34 compared to 17 out of 22 for the Bucks. Um, again, a lot of that probably just because of Boston sort of just doing their best to kind of wall off the paint and, and force the Bucks to become shooters. But that is something they were able to do. I mean, they weren't great. They only shot 32% tonight, 15 out of 47, but Boston 7 out of 39 <laughs> from three tonight. Uh, their plus bucks were plus 24 from deep. Yeah, that'll, uh, that'll play. Uh, that'll work. Uh, and we haven't, you know, obviously seen, seen that other, I think game two is the only game where we saw really kind of a big differential in the bucks favor from three. So, um, definitely another positive there. All right, let's go. Normally I would talk about kind of three good themes. I'm not going to limit myself tonight, but look, the bucks beat the Celtics in five games. Okay. This is, this is a night to celebrate, to be excited. Uh, Hopefully, again, hopefully you were able to enjoy this wherever you were. Um, but let's let's just kind of run down the list of, of kind of positives from tonight. I mean, I already talked about Brogdon a little bit and some of the specific you know individual performances. But um, I think just, you know, in terms of this game, I think just, again, the Bucks' ability to take care of business. I mean, it was a bit of a grind at times. Um, but, you know, their quality and their poise, it, it was really extremely impressive all series. But again, tonight you know, not getting kind of too excited, not looking like they weren't ready for the moment. Um, they took care of business. And this has been a team that has done that all season. They, you know, I, one thing I, I kind of thought was interesting, right? I mean, we, we talked about all year, just the fact that this team 
They don't lose consecutive games. They don't lose multiple games to the same team. Ironically, the Suns, that second Suns loss was the only game where they had lost a second time in a row and also to the same team of all teams, the freaking Suns. Uh, and remarkably, now two series in, they still have not lost twice to to a, uh, to another team. Uh, they're now eight and one in the playoffs, six and zero when I do solo podcasts. So, you know, that's working pretty well as well. Um, but uh, again, I think just the maturity and the fact that this team in the playoffs looks like this team in the regular season. Uh, the fact that they've carried that over their defense. And they've done it in a more malleable sort of defensive way and, and making adjustments. I think that just it, it speaks so well of this team as well as I think the coaching staff. And that that brings me to, uh, you know, the idea of, of winning in five. And I, I think you can make a good case. I didn't want to say this until they actually won the series. I didn't want to celebrate anything until they won the series, to be honest. <laughs> I, I just wanted them to, you know, just just kill these dudes off, get this series over with. Do not mess around. I do not want to go back to a game six in Boston. Just, just end this. Um, but one thing I, you know, I, I couldn't help but think was that the Bucks ultimately are a lot better off in the kind of macro sense of this playoffs for having lost that first game. And, you know, there was a lot of talk, which I think makes sense. I mean, we were kind of worried about it uh, after the first round that, First round was kind of too easy, you know, and maybe the Bucks were getting lulled into a false sense of security or just, you know, too much time off, too much uh, time between having real competition. I mean, the Bucks did not have, obviously, a lot of games that mattered a lot late in the season even. Um, so I think just the fact that they were able to have to face adversity, right? I mean, to come out, play quote-unquote your style and have the Celtics just punch you in the mouth in game one on, on your court, beating you by more, you know, a bigger, uh, a bigger margin than you faced in any other game uh, this season. I mean, it, I think ultimately now that we can say the Bucks have won this series, I think we're going to look back and say that was a really important thing because I think it forced the Bucks to, A, they kind of had to question, like, are we are, – are, Wait, are we as good as the team we were in the regular season? I, you know, again, I don't, I don't know how much the Bucks really question themselves, but look, they're human, right? I mean, there has to be that, that slight bit of doubt and concern. And they also worried us because they were talking about not making any adjustments. But thankfully, they they did make adjustments, and I think they showed that look, this is a better team than the Boston Celtics, right? Full stop, right? Point blank. That's why they won this series, because they're a better team. They play better basketball. Their best player is better than Boston's best player. And we saw, obviously, throughout the series that their complementary guys, you know, again, were better than, than Boston's complementary guys. Um, but I think, you know, we learned a lot about this team. And, you know, you can argue it was just keeping, in, in, uh, keeping consistent with what we've seen all year. They lose, they bounce back. You know, they face a little bit of adversity, they fight through it. They don't fall into slumps. If when they do have nights where they don't make a bunch, a lot of threes, they can still win. We saw that last game. Um, and I think the probably the the biggest winner from all this might be Mike Budenholzer because he's a guy who, fairly or not, 
has you know been carrying around this perception of well he, he doesn't make adjustments he's too stuck in his ways and after game one yeah there, there was a lot of concern around that and for him to make adjustments not just in game two but really throughout the series you know most notably certainly the the switching approach that they used to kind of throw the Celtics off a little bit to limit the ability to them to just sort of pick and pop the bucks to death the way I think many people were concerned they might um, I think you can't can't say enough about the way that the bucks coaching staff handled this and you know there was a there was a great comment by Stan Van Gundy he was on the uh, the Zach Lowe's podcast I think it was a week or two ago and first off Stan is light years better than Jeff Van Gunny at this point in terms of analysis. Uh, but, you know, he made the point that as much as we talk about adjustments and kind of changing lineups and things like that, like really what matters most is do you play the game fundamentally? You know, do you do the things that you need to do, right? Do you box out? Do you hit open shots? Do you make the right reads? You know, stuff that isn't really like adjustment based, but just, are you good or not, right? Are you well-coached or not? And the Bucks have been well-coached and they've executed the way you would want them to all year. And for them to then kind of show that, yeah, this team's really good, but then also make those adjustments, make those tweaks, show that they could win kind of doing some different things. I think that was so important um, for building confidence that, you know, the players now know that, hey, if Bud wants to do something different, it's not because he doesn't believe in what the Bucks are about or something like that, but just, you know, sometimes they're going to have to play different ways. And uh, I thought that was something that, you know, we, we saw at various points during the season, but certainly the national media didn't, didn't always see. And so to do it on, obviously, this stage was uh, was really fun and, and I think really um, great to see, right? To let, I think, the the world see what we've been seeing from this Bucks team uh, all year. And besides that, I mean... Let's be honest, as fans, I mean, you know, Paul Pierce, watching all the Celtics fans, I mean, there were no shortage of national media folks who were still p- picking the Celtics to take this series. I mean, not everybody, right? Like, I, I would, I, I need to go check the, the ESPN page where they do all the prediction, predictions, but um, look, a, a lot of smart people, I think, and generally the, the, the people that I view as the smartest pick the Bucks to win this series. Uh, but there were definitely people who, you know, who, who were skeptical, right? Nick Friedle said the Bucks don't have the swagger of the Celtics. Oh, don't just don't have that Kyrie swagger. Okay, how's that how's that swagger working out, right? Um, others have been skeptical of the Bucks really all year. I mean, there have been people who've been uh, doubters all year about that. <laughs> Colin Coward, who uh, accused the Bucks of caring too much during the regular season, despite the fact that the Bucks played their star players less than pretty much any uh, any other team played theirs. Um, a lot of people have had to eat crow this series on on the Bucks, and that's been a lot of fun. And I think the whiplash of the Bucks losing that first game so convincingly, and then bouncing back right when uh, Celtics fans and Bucks skeptics were so excited to, you know, jump on the Bucks as frauds or whatever, that makes it absolutely more more enjoyable. I mean, look. Dance on the Celtics' graves tonight, people. Enjoy it. You know, I, I don't. I don't generally like to look up. Uh, look up. You know, I, I, I see sometimes people kind of like retweeting weird Celtics fans, like random Celtic fan BS into my Twitter timeline. I don't. I don't seek any of that stuff out. I, I guess some people do it for sport. Um, 
but for everybody who was keeping receipts, uh, this is a pretty fun night, and I'm I'm enjoying some of this some of this stuff I've been seeing because, uh, you know, look again, on the one hand, you, you don't want to make too big a deal out of it because the Bucks still have bigger ambitions than just making these finals. But all that said, um, it it's so fun when the Bucks have been so good all season and they can they can show people why why they were this good at, at the biggest you know at the biggest stage at least available to them yet and again the big and even bigger stage is, is to come but in a lot of ways Boston I think provide you know provided the most challenging matchups for them of any team in the East and um, well if if the rest of the East was watching that's that's really bad news if that's true I, I I'm guessing whoever they play in the East Finals will be a bigger test than than Boston ended up being but uh, on paper at least there was there was a good reason to think that. Um, RIP Kyrie in Boston. Um, Eric and I will talk more about this, but I, I, this is really an interesting thing to, to look at because I mean, there've been obviously whispers for, for months now that, that Kyrie might not be long for, for Celtic screen. Uh, you know, a year ago that would have seemed crazy. Right. Uh, I mean, I like Bill Simmons. I, I listen to him. I think he's generally I mean, entertaining and don't agree with kind of all of his basketball takes, but, uh, he's a huge Giannis fan. So you have to respect him for that. And he's been kind of a Celtic skeptic for a while now, but I mean, I remember last year where Bill was full in on the Kyrie's become a leader Kool-Aid and, you know, Kyrie's does so many different things better now, even though, you know, his numbers last year were really similar to what he did in Cleveland. Um, And so for the Celtics season to come kind of crashing down like this, I don't even know crashing down. I mean, that, that would make it seem like, you know, they had some massive high and then massively disappointed. I mean, I think the Buck, the Celtics underachieving narrative is kind of one of the most oversold narratives probably around. I mean, if they were better than the Bucks and for that matter, the Raptors or the Sixers, then be a better team than them during the, during the regular season. You know, it's not like they were racked with the same number of injuries as last year. Uh, they just weren't, they just weren't good enough. And we just saw that throughout the season. And so, uh, you know, again, like I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy to be done with Celtics underachieving being a storyline and Celtics. Oh, maybe they figured it out being a storyline that people try to kind of get themselves talked into. Um, I, I, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm over, I'm over the Celtics and, I think the fascinating thing is, I mean, a year ago, you know, as Bucks fans, you're at the end of the Jason Kidd, Joe Prunty era. Uh, you're coming off, obviously, losing to the Celtics in the first round. And Boston, you know, still had a bunch of assets. I mean, they still have a bunch of picks that they're going to have in the first round this year and next year. Um, they still obviously have young guys. You expect, obviously, you're expecting Kyrie to be good and come back. Um you're expecting Hayward, obviously, to be at least pretty good this year, coming back from that that bad injury. And, I mean, things just have changed so quickly for Boston, right? I mean, Jason Tatum is his trade value is probably much closer to where it should have been a year ago, and like a lot of Celtics fans probably felt like he was this like premier trade chip. And Kyrie possibly leaving this team, I mean. I, would be enormous, right? I mean, you take Kyrie out of the mix here. Al Horford has a player option. He could leave. Um, I mean, Boston's not going to be bad, 
but it's not inconceivable that the Bucks just destroying them could be the first step in Boston really seeing their kind of title contending window perhaps close for the time being. And it's remarkable, right? Because a few months ago we were talking about, well, you're going to keep Kyrie and then, you know, trade Tatum for Anthony Davis. And, and then you've got, you know, your, your, your new super team. Now, who knows? I mean, if Kyrie leaves, do, do you trade an even bigger package? Cause Tatum might not be enough to get Anthony Davis alone. Do you, do you have to put together um, more assets than you otherwise would have? And, even if you could, is is Anthony Davis going to want to stay there? So does that mean they're even willing to make a deal for Anthony Davis? I, I don't know. Boston is just in a really fascinating spot, and it's remarkable just where the Bucks were a year ago, the way that they have just kind of conjured all the value that they have out of this roster, you know, just turning kind of low-value low summer signings, like obviously Brooke Lopez, but, you know, even somebody like Pat Connaughton into really useful rotation players in the case of Brooke, just a massively valuable defensive stalwart and, and spacer, um, especially during the regular season, not really during this series specifically. Um, but that reversal is just, it's just remarkable. And, and again, kind of a reminder that things change quickly. And that's why I want to, I think I want to leave you guys tonight with, you know, just the sense of just enjoy this, right? I mean, in, enjoy the next series. Hope you've been enjoying what this Bucks team has been doing. Hopefully, we'll have a lot more of this to enjoy over the next couple couple of years. I mean, the Bucks have obviously their own challenges this summer, which obviously we'll we'll talk more about in the months ahead uh, to kind of keep this group together. But um, getting to these finals is it's a great accomplishment. It's not the end the end game. Uh, by the way, that Avengers End Game is why I missed yesterday's podcast with Eric. Apologies, uh, but there, there's more for the Bucks than than obviously just making these finals. Um, but if you can't enjoy the ride, then don't follow sports, right? <laughs> right? Like if you can't enjoy a team like this Bucks team, which is so fun to watch, so fun to root for, has such good people and, you know, beyond just how good they are as players, such good people and play together, play the right way. You know, if you're not enjoying these guys winning and proving doubters wrong in the playoffs, then you know, you're probably not going to really enjoy NBA basketball uh, or, or sports, I guess. Um, I'm guessing because you're listening to this, you're probably enjoying it, though. So um, so, so soak it in. Enjoy it. Buy Bucks gear. Wear it around town. Try to get to a game during the East Finals. We'll hope for, obviously, another series beyond that. Um, but this this is a great team. And, and, you know, I think as Bucks fans, we're always sort of conditioned to be a little bit nervous about fully buying in about trusting the bucks. And I, I think, you know, we're just at this point where you just got to let go of all the baggage, all the anxiety and just enjoy it. And I struggle with that too, because I'm always worried about blowing leads and all this other stuff. But, um, but don't, don't let that, uh, don't let any of the, the anxiety and, and paranoia that that's come with the last couple decades of being a bucks fan um, stop you from enjoying what, what this team is about, what they're doing and what they still can accomplish this year and, and in the future. So a night of celebration bucks fans, hope you, uh, were able to celebrate tonight. Hope, uh, hope you enjoyed me blathering for a little while about this game. We'll have a lot, obviously a lot more to say, check out my partner in crime, Eric name and his stuff at the athletic. Um, hopefully Eric and I will be able to do a podcast together 
in the next day or two. Uh, I know on Twitter, someone uh, said it was almost like uh, their parents getting divorced because we've been just doing all these solo pods because just Eric's writing duties prevent him from doing the game nights. And then I've inevitably had stuff going on that's prevented me from podcasting with Eric. Uh, otherwise, Game of Thrones, Avengers Endgames, a lot of media that I have to consume when I'm, it's not game night. Um, so hopefully Eric and I actually get to talk to each other and podcast for you uh, in the next day or two. Uh, but the good news is we have some time off before the Bucks next play. And uh, But the most important thing is that the Bucks will play again. And there is another series to come. And we'll break down potential matchups and things to look out for and obviously loose ends from this series uh, over the next couple days. So um, hope you had a great night. You're a Bucks fan, so you definitely had a good night. Uh, enjoy dunking on Celtics fans on Twitter or Facebook or in real life, wherever you may encounter them. Uh, I lived in Boston for 15 years. Uh, they deserve uh, a bit of dunking on, let's be honest. These fans, Boston sports fans, they've been too spoiled for too long. So uh, yeah, get Get some jibes in on Celtics fans um, and uh, and go Bucks. Enjoy the weekend uh, once it comes here. I guess it's only Thursday, but it feels like uh, feels like a weekend already with the Bucks advancing to the East Finals for the first time since 2001. Again, it's been Frank Madden. Hope you have a great night. We'll talk to you guys soon.